Hello, I'm Mary Spicer, and thank you for joining me behind fashion. In this unprecedented time, the fashion industry, like so many industries, is in distress. People around the world have joined together to demand the racial and social justice needed. No industry is exempt from this, and the hard work continues. I created this series so that we could help support each other as we move forward in the new fashion landscape. Over the next few weeks, I'm going to introduce you to many people behind fashion, producers, directors, choreographers, designers, and more. I will be taking questions during this webinar. If you are watching this live or at a later time, just text or email me. I look forward to collaborating with all of you and coming up with creative and interesting solutions for fashion shows and more as we move forward with a virus that discourages the interaction of people and the touching of clothing. What is the future of fashion and what will our roles look like as we move forward? Today, it is my great pleasure to introduce all of you to Jeff Williams. Jeff was born in Pittsburgh and raised in New Jersey. He first knew that he wanted to be an actor in grade school, really, when he started with chorus concerts. Uh, in middle school, he moved on to more theatrical productions. When he graduated from Syracuse University with a theater major, Jeff moved to Manhattan within a couple of months. His first acting job was a summer season at a small theater in New Hampshire. All those that participated at the theater were asked to work in one of the shops. Um, although Jeff did grow up, his mother uh, did so quite a bit and he did take home ec in eighth grade. <laughs> he was put in the costume shop and started off very minimally sewing. Um, but by the end of summer, he was sewing his own costume in satin. And he was told that sewing in satin, this is a very unforgiving uh, fabric. As many of us know, if there's a small problem, that fabric is ruined. And I have a photo of that outfit. <laughs> <laughs> and look at this, I think this is a Mandarin collar. I mean, this is a really nice job for a satin costume, Jeff. It was, it was pretty wild and a, and a very young me, so that's uh... <laughs> Within one, that, well, that's very good home ec, congratulations. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, we were, the, so eighth grade for me was the mid 70s. And it was, you know, it was sort of revolutionary that boys were allowed to take home ec and girls were allowed to take wood shop. And that was only in my eighth grade class up till then, boys took wood shop, girls took home ec. But it was, it was great. I think everybody should learn to cook and to do rudimentary sewing just to get through your life. So. Absolutely. And, and yours was the first grade that was able to do to, where boys could take home ag. Yep. Well, that's, that's really amazing. I took woodworking growing up. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if we were the first ones allowed, but um, there were only three of us girls in woodworking shops. Yeah. And I loved it. Now, Jeff, um, just to continue, uh, Jeff started acting in both plays and musical theaters around the country. And his first Broadway show was in 2000 with the revival of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang and The Pirate Queen. 
Uh, he also did a season of, oh, he did 60, you did six seasons of A Christmas Carol at Madison Square Garden and one season at the Radio City Christmas Spectacular where you were the standby for Santa, um, but you performed several times a week as Santa Claus. And Jeff, you know, I do love these photos of you. And if I can find them, if you are a Santa, I love it. And, but even more interesting was this photo of the undergarments that you're wearing to play this character. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Now, uh... But why would they, I'm sorry, why would they choose you to, to play Santa and then have you put on all this padding? I, I, I just mean like instead of maybe getting somebody who's larger, maybe a larger person to portray that. I, you know, I certainly wondered that when my agent called with the audition and I'm like, how do I do this? I was, I was, I think 35 or so at that time. And, you know, and, but they, it was explained to me. They said, you have to have someone who is agile and physically fit enough to, it's an, a fairly athletic show. And wow. if you got a much larger, older man, it, it just might be a bit, a bit much. The schedule is really rough there. We would do, um, I think it was six shows on Saturdays. You know, starting at nine in the morning, and the last one was at nine in the evening. So it was. So I did. I would do the first two shows every Saturday morning, and they're back to back. And I would come off stage, and the the second picture you see with the just the padding, everything yeah. would be, like, soaking wet underneath it. How heavy is this? It wasn't that it was so heavy. It was just that you 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 have padding, and then you have you know your undergarments underneath it, and then you have the whole Santa suit on top of it, and then you right. run around maniac for 90 minutes <laughs> well and i feel bad because i have not been to the radio city christmas spectacular is santa dancing santa dances he runs around he's sort of the sort of the mc of the show oh so it's 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 it was truly it's 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 a radio city is a fairly magical place with the the stage with it has multiple uh, elevator systems so things are rising and moving and about and it's, it's sort of theater magic yeah. and it was a real honor to be a part of that for that year wow that's so nice and i mean santa that's that's the all-time role now around yeah. that time you also made your first foray into the um world of tv and film with appearances on the sopranos and um the producers Mm -hmm. Since then, your life was, at, at that point, life started going into a balance of doing stage work, both in and out of New York City, doing TV work, and then finding the work that keeps things going um, between the acting jobs. Um, one of your regular side gigs was working at a restaurant inside the Metropolitan Opera House at Lincoln Center. And I know that you had said many of the patrons were the true elite of New York City, and you could see the outfits um, coming and going, especially during Fashion Week, and you were exposed to all of that fashion that would come. Um, followed by that, in 2002, Jeff was elected to the governing board of the Actors' Equity Association, the union that represents actors and stage managers working at theaters all across the country. He was a board member for 16 years, and that is where he met Judith Rice. In mm -hmm. 2018, Jeff started to work backstage with Judith Rice and Associates, and that is when I met Jeff. That's when I met you. And welcome, Jeff, for coming oh, out to my show. My pleasure.
Thank you so much. And did you get the mug? Because I'm never sure with, oh, cheers to everything that you've done. And we're going to talk more because there's a lot that I, I haven't talked about yet, but they all come with questions. Okay. Cheers. All right. First cocktail of the day. <laughs> <laughs> Before we get into it, uh, you live in Manhattan. I believe that your much of your family is in New York. Um, how are you and your family doing? Um, has anyone contracted COVID-19? We've been, we've been very, very fortunate. I'm, I'm one of five kids. I have, everyone else is married and has kids. So our sort of immediate family now numbers uh, 22. And uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, the, the only person who, uh, who tested positive, who, who was infected was my dad who is 90 and in a nursing home, or he'll be 90 in a, just a couple of weeks. But miraculously, he never got sick. He tested wow. positive. And then, you know, uh, we had heard, gotten that news and you have to go through, we suddenly, you become the adult, the caretaker of your parents all of a sudden, because my mom has passed. And so we have to start making decisions about future for my father and health decisions, and et cetera, et cetera. And then, I get a, a call a, about 10 days later, there was a, on my phone, I could see the area code. You go, oh, it's Lebanon, Pennsylvania. I'm a little concerned. But the, she told me that my dad had passed through the danger zone without ever getting sick. So oh. it was oh. our miracle. <laughs> it's yeah. so, COVID is so random where uh, some people, it affects greatly, some not at all. Some get very sick. Um, some get sick for a very long time. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's just so odd as to who it's hitting. Yes, we and there's uh, you know there if anyone who follows Broadway news and social media and stuff, there's an actor Nick Cordero, who you know, it, early 40s maybe, but in good health, and he's he was I believe I think he's still in ICU for going on three months now, and he had to have a leg amputated because of infections. So it is incredibly random that someone like that is having this horrible, horrible time. And we all pray that he will come through the other side. And then my dad at 90 in a nursing home, the most vulnerable people in our, in our country, right. kind of through it. So it's, it's so hard to figure out, which is what I think makes sort of figure, plotting our future so hard because you don't know how it's going to impact people. Wow. Yeah, and it is. It's just very random. And um, it, it's changed a lot of how we behave. Um, you know, we just can't meet in person. We can't do things together. So. But uh, we, did, we, did have a, 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 we did have a good family thing when the, my niece got married. What? <laughs> and, so, and, she, and they had the wedding. It was, it was via live stream because we could not be there. And um, this was uh, 10 days ago, and, uh, but they, they had planned a, you know, a giant wedding for maybe 200 people with 12 bridesmaids. And then uh, as these months have gone on since March, their plans have changed rapidly. And, but ultimately they said, we want to get married. We want to be a married couple. And so they did. And we all, we all watched on our TVs and uh, had a family text chain so that we could comment on everything that was happening. So. Oh, God. Actually, that sounds like a lot of fun because usually we're not allowed to text or do camera. 
<laughs> I know. It I was, uh, that down. That's so fabulous. Who do you think is going to catch the bouquet? That's a really big bouquet. Do you think she's just going to throw that one? Maybe it's a different one. And my brother-in-law almost tripped at one point. So we, someone said, oh, Jeff almost face-planted. So we, oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's nice that we're making these workarounds, if you will, and we're still connecting with each other. And, and life is moving forward. It's differently, but it's moving forward. Yes. Um, and I do want to start going into your background. There's a lot that I, I like to talk about. Um, the bio is so brief, really, so that I could ask these questions. Um, you were on a show called The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. You made yes. an appearance. So I have to ask you, what was it like working with Ellie Kemper? <laughs> she, she, was, she was lovely. She was really... I, that, that shoot was kind of crazy. I had done The Sopranos, but that would have been a number of years before. And this was sort of the start of what has become a, a significant part of my career in doing TV work. And um, it was, uh, you know, TV shoots are strange and they happen at strange times and in strange places. So this was out in Greenpoint in Brooklyn, which is one of these places you can't get to from here. You can't get to from anywhere. It's, and it's, you have to change subways a couple of times, but my call time was at about six in the morning on a Sunday, so I couldn't count on a subway even running. Right. So we get out there, and I was working in a restaurant at the same time, so I worked Saturday night at the restaurant. I think, I, if memory serves, I had actually maybe popped a sleeping pill about an hour before my shift at the restaurant ended so that I could go home and crash for a few hours, and then got up and ran and uh, did this. But we were in a... Um, we were in the kitchen of a Chinese restaurant. So oh. it's very cramped. But, you know, they're there. Uh, Tina Fey had written the show. Her husband was directing. So they were both there. Tina was very involved. And in between takes, someone would scurry over to me and say, Tina says this, or you, Tina said you, you, you paraphrased this, or you got these words backwards. But uh, Ellie and I both made our entrance from the same, the back door. Oh. Of, if you've ever been... In the out in the back alley of any restaurant in New York City, it's uh, it's, <laughs> so she and I bonded a bit out there. She was lovely, lovely woman to spend the day with. And also, it's very glamorous back there, as I can imagine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so uh, I do have a photo because you know I love photos. There you are, okay. and you're as an ICE agent. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And um, I have a, that is you and Lee Ki-Hong as Dong. Yes, Dong Wen. And then um, there's a better shot of you here, because I, I had to bring that one up. Oh, so maybe they just <laughs> borrowed that outfit, that ice outfit. But it, when you and I had spoken um, before, um, you mentioned that at that time, it was supposed to be on NBC. Wasn't that the first? Yes. Uh, like some of the first episodes. This was, uh, they were shooting the first season and we were, I, I think somewhere in the middle of that season was the episode I was on and it was an NBC project and they had, uh, they had uh, asked for 13 episodes. And then at the end of that, NBC looked at it and said, oh, it's not for us. It's a little, it's a little, it pushes the boundaries. It's a little edgy. And so I thought, oh, great. I get a nice TV job and it's never, no one's ever going to see it. And then uh, Netflix wrapped <laughs> And the rest I is his. And they actually, it was interesting to watch it over its years because it actually, because they were on Netflix and not on network TV, they could push the boundaries even further. 
and push what they did in the show. But it was, uh, yeah, and I think someone at NBC probably lost the job for making that call of, we're not going to go with this show. <laughs> yeah, that's what you get for being afraid to talk about important subjects. Even, <laughs> you know, in a comic way, these are things that are happening. Um, you were also on Hulu's Difficult People. Yes. And here is a photo of you. Are you a director in here? I am, yeah, I am the, the assistant director on a TV set. And I'm sorry, just really quick. Is this Billy Eichner from Billy on the Street? That is Billy. <laughs> Love that. Now, how, how did this go? Did you get to talk to Billy over craft services or? That was, a, that was a, you know, all TV is wacky in its own way. And that one, um, uh, difficult people shot in a different fashion than something like Kimmy Schmidt or any of the other TV I've done, which you shoot an episode at a time. You shoot episode one, you move on to episode two, you blah, blah, blah. Uh, difficult people shot more in the way that a movie would shoot in that they crossboard all the episodes so that they shoot everything that would happen in one location in one chunk of time. So the day I was down there, they were shooting, I think, three different episodes. Wow. Or part three different episodes. So they were also way behind schedule. So I spent, um, I think close to four hours sitting in my, my trailer, which was not particularly exotic, uh, on a, a side street in the East Village, waiting to be called to set. And then when they called me to set, they, the director introduced himself, and he said, I gotta tell you, we're way behind schedule, and Julie's not feeling well, so we have to just pound this out. And so we did that whole thing in, um, I think, two takes. And so there was no, there was no craft services. So oh, yeah, just <laughs> it was getting get out. And, and Billy, <laughs> Billy, I chatted with a little tiny bit. Julie was, she was not feeling well. So she sort of kept to her, herself on that one. But uh, yeah, hit it, quit it. And they were so happy that I could come in and hit the marks and get it done for them. So did, did you say Julia was the one who didn't feel well? Julie Klausner, she was not, she was not feeling well. Oh, well. yeah. And, so. you know, I just, I, I now want to watch that show. I have not seen it, and I feel horrible about it. <laughs> it's funny. It's funny. And, you know, and, you know, and again, it's because it's not network. They can push the boundaries and, and hit and some And we've all gotten very used to that. Now we can go on, on the network and we say, well, I mean, outside of maybe a voice competition, there's not a lot that I... <laughs> can no, really get into because they're not they're not going into um, things properly. Um, and I know I'm fanning out. Just bear with me for a moment. I do have a question about your work on Tales of the City. Yeah. <laughs> and here, that's you, and I I love that. So this is a another outfit. But oh, is that is that Ellen Page? Did did that you have craft services with Ellen Page? How was it working with her? <laughs> We had, we had a lot of time that day. We had a lot of time that day. We shot up at a, um, they had rented a, a, a really gorgeous property up in um, Purchase, New York. And that's someone's house. That is wow. actually, we're sitting around someone's kitchen. And oh. they had that out. You know, yeah, how the other half lives. So, <laughs> so, and we spent the day there, but there, you know, on, on that one, there was a lot of moving the cameras set. You, you set up a shot and then they tell those of us who are speaking in the scene that we can go take our, take some time and they'll work and they have stand-ins for each of us and they deal with focusing the lights and, and making sure everything, all the technical details are done. 
and we sat off in a small pantry room off the dining room of this house. It was uh, Ellen and Michael Park, and Josh is the guy in the in the picture with me, and the four of us had many hours sitting. Wow. There. She, Ellen's a very intense woman, and she's oh. very political, and she you know, and she but. And I was the only one she didn't know. She had been working with Michael on the series. She and Josh had worked on other things. But as the day went on, we had some lovely conversations. And that's, you know, oh. that, that's how TV goes. You sort of figure people out as the day goes on, so. Yeah, it's always nice to hear that, that people are kind of who we imagine. Sometimes there are surprises, but for the most part, I like that she's definitely Ellen Page. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, and, and to talk about, like, I think in each of these, you have different outfits. We talked in the beginning, um, you were on stage in A Day in Hollywood. That's what you made this outfit for out yep. of satin. But that's not the norm to make your own costume or come up no. with your own costume, right? <laughs> Usually you have a costume designer and you sent me this photo. Uh, and can you tell me a little bit about this costume? Here you are. <laughs> that is, um, that's, uh, that's from the Will Rogers Follies, uh, Tommy Toon show that I toured with for uh, about 18 months. And uh, our costume design, that was the opening of act two. Uh, Danette, the woman in the middle is actually, she was not in the same scene with us, which is why her costume looks nothing like the world that we are oh. in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I that, don't think they would allow that. No, that was us right before we went on stage. But it was, uh, the number was uh, the campaign when Will Rogers ran for president. And uh, the designer on that was a woman named Willa Kim. She won the Tony for her designs on that show. She wow. was an extraordinary, extraordinarily inventive uh, costume designer for the theater and did brilliant work. And uh, on that particular one, if you hold it up again, you can see there's a white line that runs down the, the, the chaps. This one. And and the, the men in the number, for the women, it was fairly straightforward because they were all sitting in a straight line across the front and they did this little sort of hand jive with Will. And it was, it's a phenomenal number. But the men, we were in the beginning of it, we were seated and then standing. And so when I went to my fitting, I was the first of the four men in the show to go to my fitting. We spent an inordinate amount of time with Willa and the costume shop having to figure out where this white line should lie on my legs so that would it be straight when I was seated, seated or straight when I was standing? Because I guess they are mutually exclusive right. because of the way our bodies are shaped. So, and you know, and it's, it was not crazy making, but there, it had, we had two weeks of rehearsal. I had just come back from doing another show and during these two weeks was also moving out of my apartment. So there was a lot going on and I'm sitting there in this fitting forever with them moving a white line on leg and but then ultimately you realize that that's where the genius is yeah is in, in in details like that and we see it in the work we do in 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 runway stuff that's where the genius is in the detail and that's what takes it from being clothing to being fashion and that's what takes willa's work in this right. to a level that other people would not necessarily that deal with that kind of detail well, it's like we quite often say, um, it takes a lot of work to look this natural. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's not so much, it's not always in your face. Sometimes it is, but sometimes it's just those little details 
as a dancer, if your legs are moving and that stripe is on the front, but you're constantly seeing the sides, you're missing the whole thing. It also tells you when somebody's out of step. <laughs> Yes. Now there's another show that you were in. Oh gosh, um, uh, I, I think you had a costume designer for this blacklist, and you look so dapper. Yeah, that was a fun one. And I, that, I just the, love this outfit and the detail of the shoes. Yes, and uh, I don't, I don't know that you would call him the costume designer, but he was the he was in charge of me, and so I went down and had to meet with him. Uh, their studios were down at Chelsea Piers here in the city. And I showed up and I had, I think I had probably ridden my bike down and had on jeans and a t-shirt and my hiking boots. And I walked in and he just, he looked slightly aghast <laughs> that he had to try and turn that into what that picture you see. You know, and I, and I'm not always the best at, at things like that. And, you know, you, I, when we first started doing the runway stuff, I didn't always know exactly what to wear when we were backstage and there might have been a few rolled eyes in my direction but I've learned I learned, learned. <laughs> but he took uh, this young man uh, took a pro about two hours to put together this whole look for me and you know you walk into a room and they purchased 10 suits in my size and 10 shirts and ties and, and, and shoes and everything and put meticulously putting it together with the tie pin and the, the pocket square and everything to create this look. And if, in the background, you can see I had a beautiful Chesterfield uh, top coat that went over uh, it all. Yeah. And then the crazy thing is you never see it in the show or you barely see it. It's used in an establishing shot as I cross a lobby and then head into my hotel room. So yeah. <laughs> that's this about actually, so I'm like playing the video and trying to get the picture, but this, I mean, in the lobby, it was so fast. And then the longest you stood was at that elevator to yeah. go up. And it was very quick. But I'll tell you what, you really knew who this character was just yeah. by the clothing. And, clothing. and you do notice. And clothing defines us, we, what we choose to wear. And it's very much, he helped me immeasurably to take a character that had two lines and by this look he put together, I knew how to walk across the lobby of the hotel. It does so, change your whole body. Yeah, how you walk, how you, and so, you know, and, and all fashion does that. I certainly learned that my years at the Met, watching people as they, how they dressed and what they chose to wear to present themselves. So yes, yeah, so that, but that was a lot of money and a lot of time for a look that no one really saw. <laughs> but then you, you did, then they saw you more in, this lovely look. Yeah, yeah, me and my yeah. me and my underwear. So, but it was even then there were multiple pairs of silk boxers. Which boxers are the right ones? And then, uh, and again, getting into the difference between broadcast TV because uh, Blacklist is NBC as opposed to something that's on Netflix or something. Underneath the silk boxers, uh, they had to. They were very adamant that I had several pair of underwear on, not just one. Oh. But multiple pairs of underwear because as they kept saying to me nothing can move so <laughs> it was, it's tv okay. it it's is tv tv network tv and so that was of paramount importance that everything stay in its proper place so <laughs> and and you started working new york fashion week in 2018 you were yes. a new kid on the block 
Um, and walking in backstage at a fashion show, what are the immediate differences between backstage of a fashion show and backstage at the theater, let's say? Well, and at the theater, you know, fashion shows are set up for space to change your clothes because that's what it's about. Whereas at a theater, you know, for all the glamour of a Broadway theater and the, and the, the lights and the tech and the, the beautiful costumes and everything, when you get backstage, these are old buildings with not a whole lot of space. So you run off stage and there's a wall and there's the fly rail and there's the crew guys and there's the other set pieces that have to come on. So when you're doing quick changes, you're having to create space and you're all on top of each other. And we're on top of each other at fashion, but you walk back and it's something that is truly just set up for that environment. Mm -hmm. But you get into, you have to get used to who are all these people and what, what is their attachment? What do they have to do with today's event? And, you know, it's a, it's a big learning curve. But yeah, especially like, I think we talked earlier about the photographers. Is this mm. photographer, because some photographers can stay during the show or even just one, and then everyone else must leave because the models are changing. And so it's basically they picking, they've chosen the <laughs> photographer that they trust. They, but they, they, some of them really are very tenacious about trying to get back there and, and stay back <laughs> there. So, so you learn about that. And it's also, uh, as you mentioned, sort of all the photography and everything, it's fascinating to watch, to watch the models. Mm -hmm. You know, all of our the social media is such a huge part of all of our lives. And we all have to self-promote. And I, I certainly do as an actor. But, you know, you and the whole thing of social media influencers and we take pictures of our food now and we, we do all of that. But you watch the, um, the models that we work with all through the day, through, through hair and makeup, through, when they're just sitting there, they're, doing, they're taking pictures of themselves, someone else is photographing them, and they live that way. And I, I always say I want one of them to give me a, a, a lesson on the art of the selfie because they do it beautifully. Oh, I look, and they I look every time. <laughs> yeah, but they just, boom, hit that pose. So, and there's an art to that. <laughs> there is an art to that. And, um, you know, there's a reason why, you know, there are professional models yeah. um, that we go to. They just, they hit it every time. Now, uh, we're coming towards the end and sure. I just, you live in Hell's Kitchen. Uh, yes. in, and you said that that neighborhood is really dependent on the theater. And it was just announced that I believe Broadway said they're not opening until 2021. They, the official announcement is that they are now refunding tickets through January 3rd, 2021. And sort of figuring out how things come back after, after that. Hopefully we'll be in a place where people will feel comfortable coming to a public event like that, and that there will be protections for everyone who works backstage, front of house, all the employees, as well as the audience. And that will take time, and it won't be, I don't think the plan right now is any sort of January 3rd, Broadway is back. I think it will be a slow rollout right. through the, the next several months. Other places, uh, the Metropolitan Opera, I'm very familiar with, having spent enough years working there, they have their announcement was that they will come back with a gala new year's eve event okay. to the form of it is to be determined but they're like they want to open with a gala and just boom we're back 
and uh, fingers crossed that they will be able to do it. It's going to be a long six months with sort of no, no culture in New York. I mean, some museums may start to open, but performing live, live performing arts will not come back until after the new year. But even more than that, I mean, we're getting to the point where there's no work. Um, Cirque du Soleil, it has gone out of, they've claimed bankruptcy. Um, a lot of people have, they, they've lost their jobs. And so how, how can we help, Jeff? Is there some program that you know that, that we as viewers could help those in the industry? Oh, absolutely. I would, I always say, encourage people, if you, if you want to help, those of us in the in the in the arts uh, support uh, the Actors Fund, which is a service organization that uh, that works. It's called the Actors Fund, but it is truly for anyone within the performing arts industry, the, you know, backstage, on stage, and it's it's uh, supporting people. They have um, you know there's financial support. Obviously, they have a health uh, center. They have the the uh, Al Hirschfeld Health Clinic. And they also have uh, a huge number of, uh, I guess you'd call them classes and seminars to help people find other work in, or it, in times when you can't find the onstage work. Right, So right. And that's just so important because fashion is not just models. You know, you're no. talking about casting agents, lighting crews, um, choreographers, um, set design, all of that. Everybody's on hold and it, it truly is an unprecedented time for all of us. And we're just under so much stress. So to the audience, everyone, if you can and would like to help, please give to the Actors Fund to help not just actors, but all professionals in theater, television, movies, dance, radio, music, and opera. That's www.actorsfund.org. And Jeff, sure. thank you so much. <laughs> My pleasure. It's good to see you. I, I miss our families that we create in all our weird little businesses. So I, I, I miss seeing you. I hope I get to see you soon. Fingers okay. crossed. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Okay. And thank you all for attending this week's Behind Fashion series with my guest, Jeff Williams. Jeff's website is www.jeffwilliamsonline.com. Next week, I will be joined by fashion designer, Kavanaugh Baker. See you all next week, Wednesday, July 8th at 10 a.m. Mountain Time, noon on the East Coast, 9 a.m. on the West Coast, and 5 p.m. British Summertime. All the best to you and yours, and have a happy 4th of July.